Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is one of your co-hosts, Jeff. You can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at Smash underscore ASD. Uh, now I'll turn it over to Matthew as we get a word from our sponsor. Good evening, and thank you, Jeff. We are sponsored here tonight by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. They are at 301 South Main Street, Suite 107, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. You can follow Main Street Pharmacy on Twitter at, at Main Street Farm. Our guest tonight is Brett Ciencia, who launched Pick 6 Previews in 2012, and over these last nine seasons has been the most accurate Power 5 preview in America by Stassen. After the release of his 2019 season preview book, he was selected to become a Heisman voter and has been invited onto 100 plus radio shows or podcasts across the across the country. The 2020 book was launched earlier this year and is available at pick6previews.com on Twitter or at picks or at pick6previews. That's where you can follow him again on Twitter at at prick uh, at uh, pick6previews. The Pick 6 Previews book and Twitter account content is, is always endorsed by Chris, uh, by, uh, excuse me, by college game base Chris Falsia, who, who says that uh, Pick 6 Previews is a much, much read magazine. He, call, he deems it as a must read. He, it's just one of the best preview magazines out there. We previewed it several times. And we're excited again to have Brett on the show tonight, and so I, I just want to make sure that I welcome that I welcome Br- Brett. Brett, are you out there now, right now, with us? Yeah. Hey, Matthew and Jeffrey, uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And uh, you know, I can't believe how quickly this season has flown by. We talk each preseason, and we and we preview the season together, the ACC together, and uh, in blink of an eye, here we are on uh, rivalry weekend, and. Uh, heading into conference title games. But but thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. We're really happy to have you on, man. So I, I gave you a brief a brief rundown of your background. And if there's anything that you want to tell us about yourself, anything that you want to plug, any people that you're working with that you want to plug, any th- future appearances that you want to plug, the floor is yours to plug anything that you want to talk about, Brett. Yeah, well, well, thanks for that great intro. That pretty much summed it up. Um, you know, I launched Pick Six Previews back in 2012, uh, season preview book, just like the ones you see on newsstands. But uh, mine is digital; it's a digital download, um, and I try and strike a balance between the numbers uh, and the, the the film. And the you know, I call coaches. I'm talking to coordinators all the time, uh, trying to really learn the X's and O's of what they're trying to run and what they're trying to install at their program. So I like to strike a balance, like I said, numbers and the film. Um, and the football talk too. And I try and give a, di- a nice deep dive into the, each of these uh, Power Five teams. I personally preview all 66 Power Five teams myself. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I, the reason I really started this was because I noticed that the national coverage really just honed in on a handful of schools. And uh, it just was kind of selling college football short. 
because uh, every one of these 66 programs has their own history, their own traditions. And uh, I love diving in really deep into each one. Definitely, definitely. We love having you come on the show. You're a wealth of knowledge. Jeff, buddy. All right. Thank you, Matthew. All right, Britt, uh, let's look at ACC football this past week. Who, who was the ACC football team that was the most disappointing in week 13? And I, I think you got a number of candidates for that. And and which ACC, ACC team was the most impressive in week 13? Yeah, well, there were plenty to start with the disappointments. Uh, there were plenty. I mean, if you look just at the raw scores, um, you know, Georgia Tech getting shut out, um, you know, uh, again here after getting, you know, at losing 55-0 last week to Notre Dame to go uh, 45-0 to Georgia. You're talking about 100-0 the last two weeks. Uh, that's a bad look. Um, you know, Duke, again, the, the struggles continued for them. They, they've been blown out most weeks this season. That continued again getting outgained by 300 yards by Miami, losing by 37. Uh, so those were kind of the blowout loss teams. Um, you know, and then if you're talking about in the middle of the game or in-game metrics, that kind of thing, you got to throw UNC into the discussion for most disappointing team of Week 13, considering that they held a 99.9 win probability late in that game. Now, I don't know how ESPN does that number, uh, so take that with a grain of salt, but they were up by nine with two minutes left uh, against NC State, and they allowed a a long Hail Mary touchdown to set up, uh, you know, to get NC State within a score. And then they allowed the onsides kick and then another drive. So UNC really choking away a nine-point lead late uh, really sums up their disappointing season. All right. And, and who did you have, Brett, as, as some of your most impressive uh, teams of the week in, in the ACC? Yeah, so in terms of impressive teams – um, you know, I'm going to give it to both of the division champs this year because uh, when you when we talk about the preview book back in August and you look at all the different preseason magazines out there, everyone penciled in Clemson to, to win the Atlantic and everyone penciled in UNC to win the Coastal. And uh, when the dust settled, it was a hectic season. And you have, uh, you know, nobody predicted this, Wake Forest and Pittsburgh, uh, both emerging for the ACC title game. Uh, so I want to give a hats off to both programs. Uh, yes, their, their week 13s were impressive themselves. Uh, but just the whole course of the season, I got to you know tip my cap to both those coaches, Coach Narduzzi at Pitt, uh, along with offensive coordinator Mark Whipple, the way that they really uh, you know transformed their offense overnight. We, we've seen four years of Kenny Pickett, but this fifth year was special. Uh, they, they really you know they're tied with Wake Forest as the best offense in the conference. And then over in the Atlantic, Wake Forest themselves, you know Coach Clawson, he, he does this every year, his claw fence as you call it. Uh, what they do there, they run that zone read but they really mesh it really long. You know, the quarterback and running back are meshed really long. It's patient. Uh, and then they, they force the defense to commit to either the run or the pass and always make the defense wrong. So, you know, Wake Forest, again, a huge offense, explosive plays. Um, and both of them secured their conference title or their division titles. Very unlikely stories, uh, but incredible coaching jobs to both. Yeah, great choices there, Brent. I, I just want to mention um, – Clemson as well. Uh, you talked to them. You talked about them. You know, being one of the preseason ACC uh, favorites, were the favorite to win the ACC. It, it wasn't meant to be their year. Struggled at the beginning of the year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But uh, you know, credit Dabo Sweeney and and his staff for for having that. You know, from the start where the offense was just a train wreck, trending upward slowly through the course of the year, surviving games in the middle of the season that they could have lost to, to still finish up, you know, a better team uh, than what they began, 
nine and three, 30 to zero shutout of South Carolina, beat Wake Forest last week. And, you know, they finally started to look like uh, maybe not quite the national championship contending team that we thought they could be. But, I mean, they look like a top 15 team in the month of November and when they very well could have kind of just, you know, laid down and said, hey, we're not, we didn't meet our goals for the season. Let's just pack it in. And, uh, you know, they, they got a lot of momentum going uh, through the course of the year and, and finished up really strongly, I thought. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's a program where once they took their first loss against Georgia and then once they took a few more losses, I think uh, most fans across the country kind of placed them on the back burner. They kind of put them out of sight, out of mind. But if you're not a Clemson fan or you aren't aren't tuned in there, they've been playing excellent football down the stretch. Um, you know, the 21-point win over Wake Forest is huge. Um, you know, one of the more dominant performances in a, in a game opponent adjusted that we've seen. Uh, so, yeah, credit there. Uh, the offense evolved. Will Shipley really turning into, um, you know, a, a guy you can build an offense around. Um, we take it for granted sometimes in college football, but when you have to replace the ACC's all-time runner with Travis Etienne, number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, there's going to be somewhat of a, of a gap year. And, um, you know, for Clemson, if that's your transition year, you know, your, your rebuild, in quotes, year, that's a pretty good rebuilding year. I mean, you're 9-3, and three, probably going to go 10-3 and three if they get a favorable bowl matchup. Uh, for a young team. So, yeah, I mean, uh, they were kind of written off early. They, they rallied for some big wins, not enough to win the Atlantic and their NCAA record six straight outright titles uh, is snapped, but still, um, you know, a strong season there. All right. Good stuff there. All right, Britt, as we, you know, go look ahead to the ACC championship and you talked about Wake Forest in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, the ACC doesn't have a playoff contending team, but these are two quality football teams two really good quarterbacks and, and this should be a very entertaining game. What, what are your thoughts on this, this matchup here? Well, my right away, my thoughts are take the over. Uh, this is going to be high scoring. It's going to be fast paced. Um, like I said, if you've watched Wake Forest at all, they're, they're huge with explosive plays. Um, you know, they'll run that zone read and eventually they'll, they'll break a long one uh, where they'll go over the top. But Sam Hartman's been really impressive. there at quarterback, um, you know, on some kind of Heisman list too, down the stretch here. Um, it'll be a great Heisman moment game for him versus Kenny Pickett. But uh, first with Wake Forest, yeah, I mean, A.T. Perry's been great on the outsides. Even by losing Kenneth Walker to Michigan State, they've still turned out a, a, a nice explosive offense. So, uh, And then on the flip side with Pitt, speaking of explosive plays, they're, they're one of the tops in the nation there on offense. You look at Kenny Pickett, 40 touchdowns through the air alone, 40 touchdowns and just seven picks, really taking care of the ball. Of course, a few years back, Kenny Pickett struggled with some of that ball control. Um, if you look at him last year, 2020, he was banged up at times, but really a game changer when he was healthy and when he was you know, gutsy performing through some injuries. So, uh, But nobody expected this 2021 surge. And uh, my hats are off to him, like I said, and, and offense according to Mark Whipple for drawing this thing up. And there's some great pieces around him. Jordan Addison, the receiver, he'll be in All-American discussions and Blitnikoff discussions there. Uh, I think he leads the nation in receiving touchdowns, or at least he's close. So, yeah, there's weapons all over the place. So here's how I kind of chalk it up. Both the offenses, they're tied in scoring offense. It's like 48 points a game. The difference here is on defense. Pittsburgh's is top five in the ACC. Wake Forest is in the bottom 10, or I'm sorry, 10th um, out of 14. So I think a slight edge there on defense. And Narduzzi, with his defensive background, I think is the difference. I, I take Pitt to win. My number's like Pitt, and I'm going to choose Pitt this week. All right. Sounds good. Uh, let's step out of the ACC for a bit here, Brett. Uh, which conference championship games are you looking forward to the most? And I mean, we got a 
a number of great matchups this upcoming uh, week with playoff implications. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on what, what are your top games you're looking at this week and you're feeling on those games? Yeah. So I think the obvious answer and probably the boring one for the listeners uh, to hear is it's definitely Bama, Georgia. I mean, that's the premier matchup. We've been looking forward to this for what, 10 weeks now uh, to see that Georgia defense, the best we've seen in a decade to go against Bryce Young and this explosive Alabama offense. Um, and hey, Alabama's got some defenders of their own too. So I think this is uh, the easy pick for the game of the week. If Georgia wins, it may very well knock Bama out of the playoff. Uh, if Bama wins, you might get stuck with two SEC teams in the four-team bracket. So that's definitely the headliner. But to spice it up a little bit, I'll talk about uh, some teams that are always close and finally started to break through, and that's Michigan from the Big Ten. Of course, Jim Harbaugh was 0-5 against Ohio State. They were 1-15 the last 16 matchups with the Buckeyes. They had solid seasons but could never break through. Now that they're finally past that Ohio State hurdle, can they get the last job done in Indianapolis? Can they knock off Iowa and claim their first playoff bid? And uh, similarly, it's a similar storyline with Oklahoma State in the Big 12, where you have uh, Mike Gundy. He's been at Oklahoma State for a long time, his alma mater, 2-14 and 14 against the Sooners until last night. Uh, finally breaks through, but there is one last hurdle. Can he beat a rematch with Baylor? Can they defeat Baylor twice in, in, in about a month's time? So um, I think both those teams get it done. I think that uh, Oklahoma State's defense and that run game get it done against Baylor. And Michigan's the more complete team than what I've seen from Iowa. So, you know, a little sprinkling there. And then a quick shout-out to the Pac-12. They don't get covered too often, but uh, you have a nice, uh, well-built program with Utah, my number one in player development, another metric in my book that I like to track. Uh, let's see if they can get to their first Rose Bowl ever. All right, Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you, new, to you now um, for our last set of questions in the podcast. How fun, how fun, Brett. We are in the midst of a huge nationwide coaching search, and this is for a lot of teams. It seems to have gone crazy on on Twitter today, just watching all of the information flow back and forth. And Virginia Tech probably is not not in the high, not, you know, not high up on the pedestal in terms of a lot of the open jobs that are out there now, but it's still a it's still a really good job. It's still a really good job. There's a lot of people that perhaps argued that it might have been better last year for Virginia Tech to hire a coach. But, you know, in the midst of a pandemic and having Virginia Tech, you know, kind of how do I say it? They're they're probably they were, you know, letting a lot of people go. People were taking salary cuts. It may not, you know, it, the, it would not have been a good uh, thing for Virginia Tech to hire a new coach and all thing, all those types of things were happening like that and a lot of other schools were experiencing the same sort of same sort of same sort of issues in terms of you know same terms same excuse me same sorts of issues during a pandemic having said that you know virginia tech is going to hire a new football coach i never thought that i in my mind brad i didn't think it was going to have i didn't think i didn't think what babcock was going to was going to make have fuente out the door before the end of the season i i I, I thought it was going to happen at the end of the season, and it happened to it happened surprise a lot of ever surprise a lot of people to see it happen after the Duke game. So, mm -hmm. having said all that, Brad, I'm interested in your thoughts on the Virginia Tech football coaching search and where do you think where you think they should? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's funny, Matthew, when you first invited me on a couple weeks back, I started doing some notes on the coaching carousel question, and uh, I woke up this morning here Sunday, uh, November twenty eighth. 
And I might as well just rip that to shreds, those notes, because uh, it got wild today uh, with the big opening at USC being filled by Lincoln Riley, uh, the, the four-time Big 12 champion coach there, uh, you know, the architect of the top offense in the country the last five years. So uh, that was a massive domino and makes it a little bit more difficult for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and rank the different jobs against each other because uh, every coach out there has their own criteria. They would evaluate a job or the regionality of the sport, maybe some personal connections. So those kinds of things, you know, ranking the jobs, I don't really put much stock into that. But what I will say is it's definitely a crowded room now uh, because you had uh, in this cycle alone, you had Florida, LSU, USC, and now Oklahoma joins the mix. I mean, you had TCU and Texas Tech. A lot of Power 5 teams, the Washingtons up there in the Pacific Northwest. So it's a crowded room. Uh, and speaking of those notes I started jotting down about a week ago, there were some names I wrote down that Virginia Tech ought to look at. Um, you know, guys like Dave Clawson from Wake Forest or Billy Napier out of Louisiana. And uh, again, just this morning, both those names are off the board with Clawson signing an extension at Wake and uh, Napier taking the job at Florida. So this thing's wide open. Um, you know, I don't want to speculate too much on this. I'm in contact with a lot of head coaches and coordinators, uh, you know, in, in calls and DMs and texts and such. So, um, but if you were to research this online and some names you might find pop up uh, in regards to Virginia Tech, you'd probably see Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina's head coach. They had a nice breakout season last year, uh, 2020, going undefeated um, all the way down the stretch, beating BYU. They run a, a very unique offense, too. So if you're trying to go for an outlier offense, Chadwell would be your guy. If you want defense, you might want to look at some coordinators at some of the Power Five dynasty teams like Brent Venables at Clemson, um, you know, Dan Lanning down at Georgia. Again, I don't know their personal preferences. I think Venables would probably stay at Clemson. He's been offered many spots before. Again, I don't want to speculate. Uh, and if you want to go the group of five route, which is a common route to go, you know, take a successful group of five head coach. Guys like Charles Huff from Marshall, he's in that footprint. Uh, or Bill Clark at UAB. He's always on all the, the hot lists. So a lot of options out there. It is a crowded room, though. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be fun to follow the next week or so. Amen, man. Amen. We appreciate we appreciate your take there. So let's let's go to 2022. I probably and this is going to kind of this will probably kind of coincide with a long term view as you look to your next publication of your magazine which everybody loves by the way everybody loves i've been reviewing your magazine as you know every year at allsportsdiscussion.com yes, so this, this is an early plug for your magazine over at pick six previews as we look forward to 2022 who is who else is on the acc football coaching hot seat yeah so again i mean i'm in talks with a lot of these head coaches and coordinators so i don't want to be throwing people under the bus so i'm going to view this as um, in terms of hot seats, uh, trying to read the room of the, the fan bases because I do follow you know, thousands of people online of fans. I try and really get in the weeds and, and uh, you know, learn from the fan bases, you know, see their reactions, their emotions. And based off of their reactions, the fan reactions, I think some names to look at would be Louisville uh, with, with Satterfield. Um, you know, he's had some ups and downs over the course of his three-year tenure. Uh, that, that, that last game yesterday against Kentucky was a, uh, you know, a black eye there getting blown out. Um, they were really close last year in 2020 to getting more W's, but turnovers were brutal for them. Um, so that's a name that I've seen across Twitter there. Um, and then of course the Miami and Florida state jobs, uh, Diaz, uh, at Miami. I mean, I feel like that's always talked about as a hot seat, but I want to give them some credit. They won some games down the stretch, uh, as did Mike Norvell at Florida state. They took uh, really rough starts to the season and, uh, 
closed them decently. I know it's it's hard to think that the two of them combined are uh, twelve and twelve uh, overall record for twenty twenty one. So um, there's not much patience at those schools, is what I'm getting at. We'll see. Uh, and then another one, I'm wondering a little bit about Georgia Tech. I, I really thought that this would be a year that they would take a bigger step forward. It was year three under Jeff Collins, and I've written about this each year, that this was one of the biggest coaching transitions ever, the you know program transitions going from Paul Johnson's triple option attack and that roster that he built specifically for that offense, moving it to a more modernized you know college football offense. So I thought it would take two or three years, but I thought we'd see a little bit more progress. I was high on Georgia Tech in the preseason. Uh, I love my talk with Collins. He's, you know, very passionate about Atlanta, passionate about Georgia, um, you know, great recruiter. I thought they'd get some more W's this year. And like I said, to, to close out uh, 100 to zero the last two weeks, that's a pretty tough look. So uh, those are four based off fan reaction that, that seemed to be a little bit hot. Fair statements, fair statements. Good, good, good. That's good conclusions. We appreciate that. So, the time has come now for an open microphone session. Brett, what do you got for us? Anything to, anything you want to talk about here, man? The floor is here. Yeah, well, well, thanks again for having me. Thanks for all the plugs and the promotions for my, my book, my, my company here, Pick 6 Previews. It's a one-man show. You know, I'm doing all the researching, writing, the calling the coaches, and watching the film. So I appreciate any kinds of shout-outs. That's awesome. I think this is our fourth straight season doing this together. We do a preseason and a postseason, so – I really enjoyed every time we talk. So thanks again. I uh, want to give a shout out to all of the ACC contributors that have been on the show. You know, I don't just come on twice a year. I'm, I'm tuning in each week. I, I watch the reruns um, because, you know, getting right to the source is what I like to do. So uh, you bring on experts on here. You know, great job by everybody this year on the show. Uh, open mic time. This thing's wide open. Um, you know, I think just to take a bigger look on college football, uh, you know, a macro view, this has been a really special year for the, for the sport because – during the playoff era, it's been very top-heavy. It's been very chalk. You know, it's been all these titles by Clemson, Bama, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. These four programs have had vice grips on their conferences. So to see this resurgence of what, what used to make college football special, the underdogs, uh, you know, the year-to-year parity, uh, teams rising up against the recruiting rankings, that kind of thing, it's been special. So some examples here. We talked about Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. Uh, if you look at all-time win percentage out of the 14 in the ACC, it's number seven and number 14, dead last, Wake Forest. So uh, teams that are performing way above expectation in all-time history uh, within the ACC. And, you know, you have that over at, at Michigan, too. They've been down for a while, um, you know, relative to Ohio State. They're breaking through Iowa, a great player development school, just like Utah. These are all division champs. Um, and then over in the Big 12, the last note I want to hit there is um, – these were programs that in the in August, Oklahoma and Texas, they took the big dollar bills and moved on to the SEC and and left those eight teams hanging. I'm kind of fitting that in this in this year that the uh, Oklahoma and Texas don't make the conference title first time since 1998, and you have teams like Oklahoma State and Baylor who are outside the top 30 in recruiting, rising up, beating those blue bloods, getting to Dallas for the conference title. So kind of a resurgence year. And you're going to see that reflected in the playoff bracket where a lot of new faces, a lot of new blood, and maybe the first non-AQ team, Cincinnati, breaking through. So I think it's been a special year, kind of a bounce-back year for what makes college football special. Very good answer. Very good answer. And and before we go over to Jeff, I was just going to – you actually kind of read my mind. I was kind of going to drop, drop this. Is it possible that we see Michigan, Cincy, Georgia, and Oklahoma State in the college football playoff and really – None of the teams that have really been in there the last the last 
I mean, for the most part over the last, you know, couple of years. Oh yeah. Those four you just mentioned, I, I think they'll all be favored uh, Saturday coming up. So if, if the chalk holds there, if the four favorites win, yeah, you'd have a one seed Georgia. You probably have the two versus three game be the big 10 and big 12 winners, Michigan, Oklahoma state. Uh, and then the, our first non AQ ever Cincinnati getting in there in the four spot. So uh, that would be, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, that's, out of those four teams, you only have one playoff appearance ever. That was Georgia back in, I believe it was 2017, um, when they beat Oklahoma in the first round and lost to Alabama in the title game. So, yeah, I mean, that's three new faces, Michigan, OK State, and Cincy. That would be great because uh, all you hear, um, you know, I don't want to get into playoff expansion talks, but, uh, you know, I think it'd be, <laughs> well, I think okay. it'd be, yeah, I think it'd be great if we could get some new blood in there and, and, and you know, keep the regular season intact, keep it special as it's been this year. Every week has been a surprise and been must-watch TV, and um, that'd be awesome. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And it, and it was – I'll say this just as part of my open mic. It was happy, It was good to see Jim Harbaugh finally get over the hump and get that big win over, over Ohio State, and I was actually shocked that Michigan ran for over 300 yards. I mean, yes, it was – yes, the weather wasn't great, but they, but they absolutely mowed down Ohio State on the ground, and that almost never happens. And it was really weird for me to see that Virginia Tech almost had the same amount of yards rushing on Virginia <laughs> the same week. You know what I mean? In three hundred, right? I mean over three hundred. You know, and so it was. It was just. It, it was fun to see. Fun to see. Fun, fun to see the, the see, see these schools go back to their. Old time, old time running in the trenches, sort of a deal, and it was, it was. I, I liked, I liked seeing Michigan finally get over the hump. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, for some nice parity in the Big Ten, and uh, that was really going to be strength on strength on the other side of the ball. When Ohio State had the ball, their great offensive line, three All American candidates going up against uh, the Big Ten's top two sack guys with uh, Ajabo and Hutchinson. We were wondering, would that determine the game? That trench battle. And really, that was so one-sided. That was all Michigan. I mean, Hutchinson, I think, had three sacks himself. Pass rush was incredible there in the snow. Um, but you're right. That Michigan ground game and the offense really got it done. You know, I look back on this. Ohio State couldn't stop Michigan. Uh, the last five drives of the game were all 80 yards or more and, uh, and all touchdown drives. So 35 consecutive points there, the defense allowed by Ohio State. So, yeah, credit Michigan, credit that, uh, that staff for drawing up, uh, you know, how to get it done finally. Definitely, definitely. Jeff? Man, so so much going on in, in the ACC, both basketball and football-wise. So, you know, I really appreciate Brett coming on here and, and running it, it down for us on the football side. Um, you know, a lot of these coaching changes going on. You already talked about Georgia Tech. You know, just for our listeners, if you hadn't seen, um, Jeff Collins, you know, he is going to be retained, which which I don't think was a surprise Um to, to anyone because of the AD's announcement last week that, that he would be back, but three coordinators on, on uh, Georgia Tech staff were let go today. A um, couple secondary coaches, the offense coordinator, Dave uh, Patnoid, uh, let go as well. There's some rumors that Andy Thacker, the defensive coordinator, will be demoted to uh, linebackers coach. That's, that's just rumored, but um, you know, confirmed that the three coaches were let go. So Georgia Tech is going to be moving in a new direction. Uh, Duke football, uh, David Cutcliffe uh, and Duke uh, mutually agreed to part ways. 
Uh, Duke was also a team that really struggled this year. Uh, didn't win a game in the ACC. And, you know, Cutcliffe has done so much. He's been such a well-respected coach at Duke, um, you know, from that uh, 2000, I think, 13, 2015, he averaged, you know, an, an incredible nine wins a season at Duke, which was was just astonishing. Um, a little bit of a down year in 2016, but 2017, 18, he wins seven games, eight games. They win bowl games. So there was there was a good solid run of seven years of Duke football where where, where uh, Cut, Cutcliffe had it going as, as well as it had in, in a really long time there at Duke. Uh, but, you know, just the wheels kind of came off over the last couple of years going one in 17 in the ACC. And, uh, you know, I think he can still really coach, but he just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't working there at Duke any, any longer. Um, and if I'm, if I'm a, a coaching staff and I want an analyst on my team or, or, uh, you know, someone to, to bounce ideas off, I mean, I'm giving David Cutcliffe a call. Uh, if I'm the ACC network, I give him a call. I'd love, I think he'd be great to have, you know, his insights into to football on on that network. So I don't, I don't, he may not head coach again, but he's going to end up somewhere. Uh, and then the last thought I have, you know, with ACC basketball, you've got the ACC Big Ten uh, challenge coming up this week. And that's always for me, uh, even though we have our pre, you know, a preseason tournament games, for me, the official start of basketball season is is that challenge and you know the acc is really they struggled out of the gate you know this year um non-conference wise a lot of lot of you know kind of ugly losses dotted across the schedule uh but we saw virginia pick up a good win over providence wins a preseason championship uh louisville looked good down in the bahamas uh you know uh, beat mississippi state uh during that tournament and uh, beat Maryland, you know, an NCAA tournament quality team down there as well. So, you know, they've kind of recovered from that early Furman loss. So, you know, a couple of ACC teams starting to turn it around. And then, of course, Duke. we got to mention Duke really quickly. Um, knocking off Gonzaga on Friday night. Uh, Paolo Benchero looked like the best player on the floor. And when you're the, you look like the best player on the floor and Gonzaga's the other team, that that's pretty incredible. Um even with him suffering, looked like with cramps in the second half, you know Duke stood tall against a fantastic Gonzaga team. I mean that that Gonzaga team just you know absolutely blew out two top ten teams earlier in the year, UCLA and Texas, and Duke went toe to toe with them. Mark Williams, you know, in the interior, his defense was so good against you know the great big guys there at Gonzaga, and you know. Mike Krzyzewski's got a team that can win the national title. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, you know, they knocked off Kentucky early in the year. You're still kind of wondering, like, well, how good is this Duke team? If you can beat Gonzaga, you are a national championship contender. And by a healthy, healthy, healthy margin, they are the best team in the ACC. Um I can't see a scenario where they don't win the ACC regular season. You might knock them off in an isolated game or two here, but uh, I think they're going to run away with the, the ACC. They are really talented, can can score. And then now Krzyzewski's got a team that can really play defense. And, and that was a fantastic game um, with Gonzaga Friday night that they were able to pull out on a neutral court. So, you know, Struggle a little bit here in the early season for the ACC, but Louisville, Virginia, starting to play better. Won a couple preseason games. 
and then Duke, Duke national championship contender in basketball this this year without question. I'm with you. The, the, I'm with you. And I, the one thing I would caution to, I don't think people should make large conclusions about Virginia Tech's loss losses to either Memphis or to Xavier. Those are two very, those are two pretty good teams that are also going to be in contention for NCAA bids. So, I mean, Virginia Tech has done what it had to do in terms of, in terms of playing a punt, you know, not, not losing really terribly bad games. I think they're probably exempt from that discussion, but they're going to, you know, it would be well, well, well served for the Hokies to win, you know, perhaps to defeat Dayton and uh, St. Bonaventure. It would be very good for the Hokies to get that done before going into the ACC season because Virginia Tech, both Brett and Jeff, I I think, you know, this is, I don't think this has happened since 2006 has Duke and North Carolina also on the schedule on the road in December for hoops. And that's as tough a December as I think you can see for any, pretty much any team in the country, I think, I, I would argue. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty tough December. I think because the Hokies also have Maryland on the road in the ACC Big Ten matchup. So those are five pretty tough games that are pretty much all on the road, all on the road in December. And, you know, getting a, you know, getting some, getting a win, I think getting a couple wins versus the A-10 teams would be well advised, I think, there for the Hokies. Uh, I'm going to a- ask one more question here of you, Brett, of you, of you, Brett, you know, and, and it, it it's something that kind of, Je- kind of Jeff had brought, Jeff brought up here. I really think personally that Mike Houston would be a great candidate for Duke. What are your thoughts there? I'll hang up here and listen. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're looking to stay within the North Carolina footprint there, um, that makes sense. I mean, you also have Will Healy over from Charlotte. Um, you know, he's been on some coach lists before. Um, so I think, yeah, if you want to stay within the North Carolina footprint, those are two names. Uh, and then again, I don't know the, the level of interest that some other coordinators would have. You see some rising stars in the coordinator biz, uh, like Freeman from North Carolina. Um, you know, Bill O'Brien's back in action in Alabama. But I just wonder if those guys might be holding out for a bigger uh, head coach job. Um, and that's no disrespect to Duke. Um, you know, you guys were just talking. It's a Duke basketball. It's a basketball school, first and foremost. So we want to, you know, put into perspective how incredible David Cutcliffe's run at Duke was. Um you know, it's really rare that they're consistently a bowl team, consistently winning records. Uh, they even won a, uh, a coastal division there a few years back. So incredible job by Cutcliffe. I know it soured up there at the end, um, but we shouldn't lose focus of just how incredible that run was for, you know, within their program context. So, yeah, we'll see what, what direction they go. Uh, that one broke this morning, too. So that's fresh news uh, here Sunday morning. So we'll see. Thank you so much for spending your time with us on this podcast, Brett. We really appreciate it, and we would love to have you come back on the show again sometime. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and we hope you have a great Christmas and New Year's. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Same to you. Uh, would lo- love to come back on again, and uh, you I know, appreciate you guys always having me on. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You're a true pro. Take care. Have a great week, guys.